Baseball Italian style brings together the memories of major leaguers of Italian heritage whose collective careers span nine decades, from the 1930s to the present. In these first-person accounts, baseball fans will meet the players they cheered as heroes or jeered as adversaries, as well as coaches, managers, front office executives, and umpires at an intimate level. Join author Lawrence Baldessaro and some of the pillars of our national pastime in these historic and never-before-heard interviews. Baseball Italian style starts now. Baseball Italian style brings together the memories of major leaguers of Italian heritage whose collective careers span nine decades, from the 1930s to the present. In these first-person accounts, baseball fans will meet the players they cheered as heroes or jeered as adversaries, as well as coaches, managers, front office executives, and umpires at an intimate level. Join author Lawrence Baldessaro and some of the pillars of our national pastime in these historic and never-before-heard interviews. Baseball Italian style starts now. February 7, 2017. Larry, how you doing? Good, how are you? I'm doing great, thank you. All right. Um, did Steve uh, explain to you what this project is exactly? Well, he told me that you're an Italian, and he said there's not enough a good, there's not enough good I've done with Italian-American major leaguers, and it's going to be compiled into a book. And the, okay. I, the idea is just, you know, preserve for history the legacy of Italian-Americans in the major leagues, players, coaches, executives, umpires, etc. So that's what we're doing. Okay. So what I'd like to do is we'll talk a little bit about your family history, your Italian background. And then we'll go into okay. the baseball stuff, okay? Sure. So what can you tell me about your Italian background, the family history? Okay, so I am I am uh, pretty much 100% Italian. I say pretty much because uh, there's a dab of German high up on my mom's side, but uh, it's I, I consider myself 100% Italian. There's just my great-great-grandfather... On my mother's side was German, but everybody else in my family, my family names, we, you know, were the Bolinos, the Delios, the Marisis, the DeGilios. Wow. Um, yeah, we're, uh, we're, all, we're all Italian. All right. So do you know, um, so that was your great, great, who came to the States from Italy? Uh, it was my great grandparents that came to the States. On both sides? No, on um, on my mother's side, it was it was great great grandparents. Oh, wow. on my father's side, it was great grandparents, and then my my grandfather on my father's side was um, was a veteran. He huh. was uh, 
guessing it must have been World War II. Uh huh. But uh, he died very young. He died when my father was twenty. Uh, when he came back from the war, he was um, he was like a lieutenant in the war and came back and you know he he had a hard time with alcohol when he came back from he never really recovered. I guess today they probably would refer to it like post traumatic stress, you know, with the veterans. So yeah, so. yeah. But when he when he had come back, he was he had a, he drank a lot. Uh, so he passed away young when my father was twenty. Okay. And what about our... Yeah, we're from, uh, we're Sicilian. Uh, okay. So, so we're from Palermo. It's on your dad's side? Yes. Okay. Actually, no, on my mother's side, on my mother's side, we're from Palermo. On my dad's side, we're, we're Etruscan. Oh, really? From, yes. uh, Tuscany near Florence? Yes. Okay. Excellent. So... Did you grow up with a sense of being Italian? Oh, absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah, my grandmother spoke fluent Italian. I wish to this day that that she had uh, taught it to us, but she only yelled at us in Italian. <laughs> Sounds like my grandmother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Was it grandmother on your dad's side or your mom? On my dad's side. Uh-huh. So... The- yeah, she, she, she's... Uh, of my grandparents, we just recently lost my grandfather. Well, so I only have uh, I only have one grandparent left. My my grandmother, uh, maiden name Marisi, uh, she's she's from Sicily, and she, she's second generation. That's on your mom's side. How how is that name spelled, uh, Dan? M O R I C I. Okay. Great, thank you. And on my and on my dad's side, my my grandmother's uh, maiden name was Gattardo. Gattardo. So yeah, uh, my grandmother uh, uh, she went by. Uh, oh, I got to think about this. We called her Nana. Yes, of course. But yeah, so she. Um, I know her middle name was uh, Carmela because we named. My daughter Lucinda Carmella. Oh, nice! But um, yeah, her first name was. Uh, uh, oh my gosh, this is crazy! I'm, I'm not thinking about this. She's, she passed away in one from cancer. Uh-huh. Uh My grandmother on my mom's side is Angie, and oh my gosh, you know, it'll come to me. That's okay. That's okay. We don't need those details, really. Well, that's good. Now. I assume that as a kid you played baseball. I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I played a lot of sports. I I didn't exclusively play baseball. I I played uh, mostly basketball was the sport that I enjoyed uh-huh. more than anything. Um, you know, baseball I really enjoyed. I enjoyed being a catcher. Uh, you know, but as you know, the higher levels you go, the more difficult it was. Oh yeah. You know, so I I did not uh, I didn't play outside of high school. I went to Loyola Academy in Wilmette, and then I, I did not play outside of uh, outside of high school. I did uh, play basketball through high school, and then in college I went and became the manager of the Northern Illinois men's basketball team. Okay. 
and and that's how I became introduced to officiating because one of my duties as the manager was to let the basketball officials in and uh, make sure that if they needed anything, and then I gave them their paychecks for the games, and I got to know the officials. So that was my first introduction to officiating at a high level. Interesting. So when you got out of Northern Illinois, did you go straight to law school? I did. Okay. I did. I went, uh, my, Larry, my goal was uh, I wanted to go and be a Division One basketball official uh. and be a lawyer. Uh-huh. And that was, that was kind of the, the blueprint that I had, and that was from my experience in Northern Illinois where a lot of these guys had, you know, had another business. Uh, there were several that were attorneys. And so my goal was, okay, I'll, I'll be an attorney in the Chicagoland area and I'll referee Division I basketball. And, you know, not necessarily for the money, even though the money was good, I just really enjoyed officiating. Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was my part-time job as a basketball official through law school. And um, I used to go and referee the highest level I ever got to was Division Two. I was going to the Division One camps when I was about 23, 24, and uh, I made the turn into baseball, which was a very, very strange decision because I was I was working for a federal judge, um, a Greek judge, uh, Judge Kokoros, uh-huh. and his he had uh, at the time he was the chief judge for the Northern District of Illinois. Mm. So he had he had four clerks, and I was one of them. And um, two of them were full time, and two of us were still in law school. So we were like greeting to become full time clerks if if we were good enough. You know, it's kind of it's kind of like a stepping stone. Well, yep, yep. The other yeah, the other part time clerk that I worked with, and not that it matters, but his name was Rudy Manassian. And Rudy's father worked for the Texas Rangers. And I used to leave every day at like 3, 4 o'clock, and I'd say, yeah, I'm going to referee, you know, St. Francis, I'm going to referee, you know, wherever. And Rudy Manassian was the one who said, hey, you ever think about going to umpire school? Because my dad works for the Texas Rangers, and if you like officiating, you should go to umpire school. And I was, I was 22 <laughs> years old. Okay. I remember it like it was yesterday. And I, I was like, umpire school? What are you talking about? I, I didn't even think it was a real thing. But uh, I started looking into it. And at 23, I went. So you were still in law school. I, I, I'm sorry, what was that friend's name again? Rudy? Rudy Manassian. Is it M-I-N-A-S-S-I-A-N? I don't know. He just suggested it. Okay, you know, I, I got you this. I would, I would tell you this. If, if you're looking to really go, like, like this is kind of a funny story. And, you know, Steve told me just to be be frank with you and tell you. Oh, you yeah. Know, and you can trust him. So, so this is how it went down. So Rudy says to me, hey, you, you know, you, you leave work early every day. You should go and look into officiating professionally. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah, the NBA... Because basketball is 100% basketball was my my preference. I like indoors. I like the flow of the game. I like you know I I really enjoyed officiating basketball. Right. So when he suggested baseball, I uh, started 
fucking endure it. And one of my best friends in law school, a girl named Amy, who she, she stood up in my wedding. I mean, she was one of my best friends. She stood up, you know, just a phenomenal human being. Amy and I started talking about it, and she went and bought tickets to a Cubs game without telling me. And I showed up to class, and she goes, let's go, uh, come on, we're not going to class today. I got a surprise. I said, okay. So we went. We went to the Cubs game. We were sitting right behind the first base dugout. And I'll never forget it. She said to me, she goes, look at those umpires and tell me, can you do that job? Mm. And I said, I absolutely could do that job. And she goes, I think you need to go to umpires. Wow. <laughs> and then at the time, I was I was dating, who was now my wife, and I went home and I told her, I said, you know, I think I want to go to umpire school. And she said, umpire school? Like, Why? You don't umpire? I said, I don't know, it's interesting. I, said, I really want to pursue it. And then, uh, then I sat down with both my parents and I said, this is what I want to do. And the only instruction I got from my parents was, they said, we will, we will support whatever you do. As long as you finish law school and pass the bar. Oh. That's all they required. Okay. And I said, okay, no problem. Hmm. So you were in your third year of law school at that point? At that point, I was, that was the spring of my second year. And then once I made the decision, because umpire school is only in, in uh, January. Yeah. So once, once I made the decision, I, I then went to the, um, the dean of academics, and I said, I need to be done with law school by January. The normal progression was going to be the fall semester, spring semester, graduate. Well, they said, if you want to graduate a semester early, you need to take, there was like two or three classes in summer school. And um, and then there was an accelerated trial advocacy class over Christmas break. Wow. So I did that. I graduated a semester early. I went to umpire school. And then I actually flew home um, in the middle of umpire school to walk and get my diploma. Oh, boy. In law school. Great story. Really? Yeah. Wow. It was all kind of, yeah, it was a lot of balls in the air. Yeah. But, uh, but pretty cool. So, well, let's talk then about Empire School. Uh, which school did you go to, Dan? I went to the Wendell Set Empire School. Yeah. And what was that like? Was it more difficult than you expected, or? Well, uh, to be quite honest, I was. I kind of went in uninformed as to how to become a major league umpire. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that there were four levels of a. Um, I didn't realize that that guys would be in the minor leagues for ten plus years. Right. I was kind of floored by that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the amount of money that they made, and it was it was pretty uh, challenging for me because I have student loans, and my my girlfriend. I met my wife in college, so she was my girlfriend through law school, and my girlfriend through fire school, and. My girlfriend through the minor leagues. So I've been with my wife for 12 years, uh-huh. married for 12, been with her for 15. Uh-huh. So from a financial standpoint, it was very challenging. Yeah. And that was the toughest part for me with umpire school. But uh, one of my best friends to this day, if not my best friend, I met him at umpire school. 
process. Oh, sure. And so, yeah, so Vic and I climbed the ranks together, and we're both now full-time Major League umpires, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's cool. So um, how many, I want to talk about the process of getting to the major leagues, even once you get out of there. Do you know how many from your class at the umpire school made it to the big leagues? So from that class, there was, uh, I think there's myself, there was Victor, I know the, the other umpire school had Lance Barrett who made it. Um, we had me, Vic, Mark Ripper. There's at least three from my class. Out of how many? Class that, uh, out of out of 150 students, the three of us made it. I'm trying to think if there was anyone else. Well, but in any in, so. in any case, the the odds were stacked against you, obviously, with those numbers. Um, did you ever get discouraged along the way? I mean, even when you got out of school. Oh, that question. Yeah. It, the my first year at the minor leagues was 2003, and I was in I was in the New York Penn League, and uh, I didn't I didn't have time to take the bar exam yet, so I was making very little money. Uh, the supervisors don't really know you that well when you first get started, and and I was trying to, to downplay the fact that I had gone to law school. I didn't really want that to be. I didn't want people to think I wasn't serious. So right. I kind of kept that very private. I didn't tell a lot of people that I, I had that background. Um, but meanwhile, I really wanted to take the bar exam. So that first year, out of 45 umpires, I, I was ranked like number 31. Mm. And I remember thinking, like, that, that can't be right. I mean, I was a little older than a lot of the kids. A lot of them were 18, 19, and... And it turned out that one of the reasons I was ranked low is because my my league president had an issue with the guy I was partnered with, and I kind of got lumped into that category, and um, they didn't really know me. So my first year, I, I wasn't ranked that well. Um, I, I considered retiring then and focusing on law because I thought, I'm the lowest level of the minor leagues, and they're ranking me 30th, and the odds of making it to the big leagues are so slim. But then I got a phone call from Harry Wendelstead, and Harry asked me to be an instructor at his school, which was a, that was a big honor. Oh, wow. Big, like, that, that kind of puts your son on the map. Like, yeah. Almost, I would say the majority of major league umpires were asked to be instructors at some point. Yep. So I made the decision I'm going to give it another year, and I went to uh, I went to Wendell Fire School, and then I made the decision. I'm like, all right, I'm invested in this thing, and, and I'm going to do it. So I'm going to give it all I've got. And then uh, to, to circle back and close the loop with you on law school, I needed to pass the bar. And the difficult part of passing the bar is, as you know, the preparation. So right. in 2006, when the minor league umpires went on strike, I used that as an opportunity to lock in, take the, the prep course, 
So while the umpires were on strike, I studied in Pat's bar. <laughs> nice. Very good. So it, it was pretty, you know, the timing of it was, like, I've had a lot of people ask me, hey, you graduated law school January of 03. Uh, you know, why didn't you pass the bar in 03? And it's like, well, because I went to umpire school, and I was completely invested in that. I didn't have a chance to take the bar. Six when we were on strike. Wow. <laughs> so, so the strike really benefited me. Some people have strike babies. You know, like they have kids that they're like, yeah, we were on strike and they had a baby. Yeah. I, I passed the bar. That was my strike. Very so, nice. So uh, how long did it take you to get, I know you, you were called up in 2008, uh, not full time yet. So how much time between that first year in um, A-ball and getting called up? Was okay, so I worked my first game in 2008, and, I, and that year I worked one game. It was uh, at Rickney Field. It was an emergency situation, and they called and, and said, we need you right now. So that was, that was a big break. Um, you know, getting the first call is, is one of the toughest things to get. Yeah. So once I got that under my belt, uh, in 2009, they gave me, I think it was 32 games. And I worked, I worked 32 games where I was, uh, yeah, I go to school for like three days and I go back to the minor league. So it was, it was sporadic, which is pretty common where, back then at least it was common, where they, they want you to get your feet wet, then they send you back to the minor leagues and kind of catch your breath. Yes. So 2009, I worked 32 games. 2010, I was up the entire year, basically. I worked with Joe West um, for five months of the six-month season. Uh, had a had a great year with Joe, and then I was hired full-time during spring training of 11. So by, by the start of 2011, I was full-time. What do you remember about that first game at Wrigley? Uh, I mean, I remember getting the call. At, I live in Crystal Lake, Illinois. I remember getting the call at 5.15 p.m. and the head supervisor, Rich Garcia, telling me that, where are you? Because it was an off day in the Pacific Coast League and I had gone home. I said, I'm at home. And he said, how long would it take you to get to Wrigley Field? And I said, how much time do I have? And he said, game time 7.05. I said, I'll be there. With so rush hour, I rush hour, which is typically a two and a half hour drive, I was driving on the shoulder of the road <laughs> through the expressway. Uh, and I, I made it there with about 15 minutes to spare. Wow. So that might have helped. It didn't give you too much time to think about it. It really did. You're, you're actually spot on. I was, by the time I got there, I was so nervous about getting there. Yeah. And by the time I got there, it was a rush. And it was get out on the field. I worked third base. Um, the game was the Orioles and the Cubs. And, you know, it was, I don't, I couldn't tell you if the game was two hours or four hours. Uh -huh. It didn't matter because to me it was, yeah, I, it was Game 7 of the World Series. Game. Your feet never touched the ground, right? <laughs> that's right. Wow, that's a great story, too. So, 
once you started getting called up, is that pretty much an assurance that you will be hired full time? Oh no. Yeah. No. Uh, once you the progression for umpires is is a lot different than the players. Yeah. So when you when you get to AAA, uh, you have milestones that you have to achieve. So one of the milestones is you work your first year in AAA, and then at the end of the season, they select you for the Arizona Fall League, and they yeah. only take twelve umpires to the Arizona Fall League. Um, of the 12, about six of them are going back for their second year, six of you are new. So that's a big, that's a big assignment to get. Mm-hmm. That's a big milestone. Then once you start working the Arizona Fall League, then your goal is to be assigned Major League Spring Training. Yeah. So, um, you're working the Fall League, you're hoping for Major League Spring Training. Then... Once you get Major League Spring Training, once you get an assignment, which is a big deal because that's your first taste of making much better money than you make in the minor leagues. Major League Spring Training pays Major League money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So once you work your first Major League Spring Training, then you're, you hope that they add you to the roster, which means, Larry, that they give you a number. They assign you a number for your sleeve, and that's that's a big deal. Now, like Steve Palermo, back in the day, they would, uh, the National or the American League would purchase a contract for the umpire. Right. They would own the rights. Well, that, this is the equivalent of owning the rights. So if they give you a number, you are officially on the roster and eligible to fill it. Got it. Interesting. So, and my first number was 93. They gave me 93 when I first got a number. And then when Jerry Crawford retired in 2010, and I was added to the staff at 11, Jerry Crawford was an umpire that I very much looked up to. And I I called Mr. Crawford, and I asked him permission to put in for his number. And I, I promised him, I said, you wore it for 20 years or 30 years, I'll wear it for the next 30 years. They switched me to number two in the 2012 season, and I'll be number two until I retire. Very good. Well, you mentioned one name there. Were there mentors along the way that helped you as you were going through the process? Oh, without question. Without question. There's uh, Steve Palermo is a mentor. Jerry Crawford is a mentor. Joe West is a mentor. Uh, Tommy Allian, mentor. Phil Cuddy, mentor. Uh, just some wonderful people. Jerry Crawford, I got to work two weeks with him before he retired. Just an incredible human being. Incredible umpire. I mean, Jerry's family, his brother was a longtime NBA referee. Yeah, these, these are guys that, that taught me early on that this is this this is a lifestyle. You know, you're part of baseball. This is pretty special. Yeah. Yeah, Harry Wendell, I, I would not leave Harry Wendell sit out. He put me on the map. Yeah, yeah. Harry passed away in 2012. Um, and exactly, I was hired March 9, 2011. Harry passed away March 9, 2012. Mm. So once you get to the major leagues, let's say full-time or even before, um, was it what you expected? Were there any surprises? 
making tragic mistakes and accidents and losing their lives. Life is too fragile. Mm-hmm. So, you know, from my perspective, I think that you get to know a lot of these players, and these players get to know you, the managers get to know you. And, you know, for example, uh, when I came up as a villain, Joe Torrey was the manager of the Dodgers. Yes. And uh, so my first interaction with Joe Torrey was as the manager of the Dodgers. And I, I umpired games with him. Well, it just so happened that Joe Torrey, you know, another great Italian-American, yeah. <laughs> he, uh, he took a job at the end of 2010. He took a job in the commissioner's office. Right. In which he took over the umpiring department. So I was hired full-time by Joe Torrey. Uh-huh. <laughs> so one of the first things Joe Torrey did was hire me, which, you know, I, I'd like to think that the experience that he had with me on the field, you know, he understood that I, I went out there, I worked very hard and did my best and, you know, carried myself a, a way that he knew that he, I would never have had a major league baseball, but, you know, it's, it, it's pretty awesome for me to say that a Hall of Fame manager, Joe Torrey, is the one who hired me, you know, to be a major league umpire right after he was a manager. Yeah. It was like one of the first things he did. And, and he said to me, one of the first things I ever did when I took the job was hire you. Hmm. I said, I'll, I'll never let you down. That's quite a tribute. It really is. Yeah. Were there, and I don't know if you want to answer this question, but were there particular managers or players who tested you more than others? <laughs> uh, there always will be. Yeah. I, I don't, Larry, I never, I never say something negative about, yeah. you know, players are competitive, they're competing, you know, managers are competing. They're under a lot of pressure. And it's our job to be, to be that calming influence, to be that neutral voice, to, you know, enforce the rules. And, you know, if you're talking to a lot of players, I, I want you to, to put this in your mind. So this is really, it's changed the way that I've, I've, I've umpired. There's two things I look at. Number one, I was always told, umpire as though my kids are sitting in the front row watching me. Mm. So that everything I do... I don't ever want them to be embarrassed of, of me. Um, you know, that's that's one thing. Um, the second aspect that I, I say when it comes to umpiring is players nowadays, you know, they're making tremendous livings. They're under huge scrutiny. The managers are under incredible pressure. And we are we are the only people in their lives that really tell them no. <laughs> that's right. So... You know, you have to kind of appreciate the fact that these guys are, they're surrounded by people that tell them yes to everything. Yeah, so yeah. I, I expect them at times to not like to be told no. Of course. I expect them to be upset. And, you know, it's just human nature. I understand my role. I understand, you know, my, my part of the game. I have to go to the TV, so... And these guys are competing, and when you see them make incredible plays, and you see them do something, I mean, there's sometimes you just shake your head, you're like, I don't know how the heck he did that. Yeah, yeah. But that's why they're major league ball players, and likewise, I think there's a lot of people that 
you know, from an umpiring perspective, they say, man, I don't know how that umpire was where he was. Well, that's why we're making them umpires. Yeah, you know, yeah. There's a reason that being on that field, we've all been blessed. Being on that field is, it, it is, it's on a major league field. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Do you think, is there something or more than one thing you think that, let's say the ordinary fan just doesn't know about umpires and what they do? I don't think that uh, ordinary fans have any idea or appreciation for the amount of uh, scrutiny that we put on ourselves. Yeah. Um, and the commissioner's office, every pitch that we call is tracked and, and graded. Every play that we make is tracked and graded. And at the end of each season, we're given evaluation. We're given a mid-season and an end-of-season evaluation. And they they track all of our calls. Any signal we make, you play the ball fair, foul, they clip it in the video, and it's sent to us. So we are graded at such a high level that the, the most disappointing thing to me is you know, and I don't watch Sports Center. I don't. I really don't. I don't. If I watch a game, I don't listen to the announcers. It's just when you hear announcers say, "Oh, he, you know, he made that call. It's a makeup call," or "Oh, he made that call because he must have dinner reservations," or "He just wanted to get out of your face." That's not true. Because I can tell you, if I make a mistake, it it's rated against me, and right. at the end of the year, my mistakes are tallied. instant replay. No question. What do you feel about that whole process? Well, instant replay is it's a, it's a different animal because it's somewhat new. Okay. So, yeah, I can tell you that since I was in the major leagues only for about five years 
without it in replay. Uh, I feel as though instant replay brings advantages and its disadvantages. I think the advantages of instant replay are obviously the days of having an umpire's career be defined by one missed ball. And that, that is the one true advantage because there's a litany of, of umpires that are defined by one call, whether it be the Jim Joyce yeah. perfect game call, the Don Bankinger World Series call, the Rich Garcia uh, Yankees Baltimore call. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's all of these calls that that unfortunately a thirty year career and you're remembered for one thing. That's not fair. Right. So instant replay right at that wrong. Um the downside of instant replay, obviously, it takes away some of the excitement, in my opinion, because you'll have a close way of you call a runner safer out, and the crowd would would erupt. Yes. And now it's like it's like a delayed eruption. Yes. It's like, okay, let's watch the replay. Yeah. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing because. I can't have it both ways. I can't tell you that I don't want to be defined by a, a missed ball and not have the ability to fix it. But what it also takes away is it takes away the art of arguing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it's eliminated that that manager jogging out and the excitement yep. of the manager arguing. And I, I really enjoyed the arguments. I enjoyed the dialogue because Everybody does. You know, I, I, yeah, it, it was it was fun at times. And you know what? I, I'm not going to tell you that I won every argument I was in. I mean, my call was my call, but there were times that a manager would get me, and I'd be like, "Man, he's right." <laughs> and, and you just you know you you hold your ground, but you acknowledge you're like, "I, I hear what you're saying." Yeah. Like, you know, if I had the ability to go back, I might change my answer, but. This is the call I made, and I'm sticking with it. So, you know, that to me was, was it was like an artist. Yeah. You know, handling managers, handling players, and ejections haven't gone down, but now they're mostly over just ball strikes. Yeah, I think fans miss that, too. I know I do. It takes away some of the human element of the game. And it also breaks up the rhythm of a game sometimes, too. But, yeah, the true fans miss it. But, you know, I think the, the downside of baseball becoming such a big business is these players are paid so much money and they want their they want their product on the field. Yeah. And so the ejections, you know, when you go back and you look at ejections, I mean, obviously there's, we've all ejected somebody maybe a little too soon. You know, a lot of times we've ejected them a little too late or not at all. Mm-hmm. You know, I understand the logic. If you if you've got a superstar and it's the second inning of a game and you call him out on a close play and he gets upset and he says something that's ejectionable and you eject him, I understand that that's a pretty valuable asset that is not on the field for that team. I get that. And you know, I don't ever look at ejecting as being as being, you know, just an easy conclusion to make. You know, my goal is 
It's to try to keep them in the game. If they cross the line, they cross the line. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I would rather, I would, I would never want to have somebody say, oh, the, the White Sox would have won that game had Alfred Molino not ejected, you know, a you. Yeah, yeah. You know, that, that's, I don't want to, I don't want to affect the outcome of games. I want to be impartial. I want to be fair, fair but firm. The assumption, I think, for most people uh, is that the, the player, if he says the magic word, that's kind of automatic. Is is that fair to say? Is that true? Yes. If, I wouldn't call it a magic word. I would call it if they if they focus on you, okay, if they uh, take it personally. Yeah, yeah. And for example, Larry, I can tell you, Larry, that call was terrible. That call was. Was you know without using the language that's mostly used, you could read between the lines. But Larry, that's bullshit. Yeah, you know that terrible call. Versus Larry, you suck. Yeah. Okay, it's a, it's a very it's a clear as day, black and white. Argue the call. Argue my position. Argue my judgment. Argue. Argue the decision that I made. But don't say you you were lazy, um, you didn't care, yeah. or you're just flat out terrible. That's when you say, "No, I, I will. I won't put up with personal abuse. I, I will definitely defend my call and allow you the opportunity to to voice your displeasure. I will definitely do that. But don't question my integrity, and I won't question yours because I realize you're competing." But if you did that, you'd lose their respect, too, wouldn't you? I mean, if they knew they could get away with that. Absolutely. And, and actually, to take you one step further, and this is what was thought to me by all of my mentors and still to this day, if, if I stand on the field and somebody was to verbally berate me personally, and they were to take the approach of, you're terrible, you don't deserve to be on this field, you know, you, you never should be here. And I just stood there and took it. It's not that person's respect that I just lost. It's the other 49 players that are sitting around there saw it. It's the managers, the coaches, it's my colleagues, the other three umpires. Those are the people that lose more respect. Because the person yelling at me, you know, not to say those things and, and, and do those things. It's like, okay, they're in the heat of the moment, but... We've seen it, and I'm sure in your years of being a fan, you've seen it where you're like, man, I can't believe that guy stayed in the game. And mm-hmm. ultimately, you look at the umpire and you're like, why do you let him get away with that? Mm-hmm. You know, without knowing what's being said. Now, don't get me wrong. I've had situations, Robin Ventura was a great one. Robin Ventura loved to come out and love to say, Dan, I think he got this play right. But everybody in this stadium wants
we got yelled at, didn't do much, but, you know, sometimes you don't know. And, and really, I mean, if you ever pull up some of my ejections, I have ejections where I don't say a word. Mm. I just, I just sit there and it's like, okay, like I can see the guy wants to get ejected. You, you just can tell. He, he wants to get ejected. He's trying to fire up the team. Okay. No problem. You have a job to do. Do your job. That's fine. I have a job to do. Okay. And he's gone. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it is what it is. I mean, and then, and then, you know, after the game, when we shower up and we're walking out, we see him in the hallway. Hey, see you tomorrow. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, you can't, you can't carry it over till the next day. Right. I mean, either there is an ump or as a player, that's the worst thing. Oh, yeah. That's the word. Every day's a new day. Yeah. Yeah. You're in the wrong business. Because like I said, you miss a call today, it, it's raised against you. You miss a call tomorrow, it's raised against you. Yeah. You don't want to get in the reputation of missing calls. And you miss the call on purpose. That, that to be quite honest with you, in my entire major league career, I've never seen anything miss a call on purpose. All right. Well, from everything you've said, Dan, it sounds to me like you feel now that you made the right decision to become an umpire. Well, it's easy to say once you're at the big league, Larry. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> I mean, with hindsight, yeah. Yeah, in hindsight, I'm, I'm a genius. Uh, yeah, there was eight years there where there was a lot of, a lot of people questioning, like, what the heck is he doing? Of course. You know, my wife is the one who fielded the majority of the questions because she was a school teacher and, you know, making ends meet wasn't necessarily the easiest at times. I mean, I, I worked, when I was in the minor leagues, I worked for a funeral home. And one time I drove, uh, I drove like the flower car. I drove the, the, uh, the hearse. I worked for a funeral home part-time. I refereed basketball. Um, I substitute taught. All of these, I had these jobs until I passed the bar. Uh -huh. Once I passed the bar, I focused on law. So, you know, for my wife, people would say to her, your husband's a lawyer, and he's umpiring in the minor leagues, and he's working these side jobs, and you know, a lot of people didn't make sense, so he, he took a lot of the criticism. But as soon as I started working in the big league, everybody, you know, fell right in line. Oh, he's a genius. Right, what, right. What a great job. <laughs> Do you know of any uh, other umpires who have had law degrees? I don't. Yeah. You know, there have been managers like Tony La Russa, John McGraw. I think there are three or four or five, but I've never heard of an umpire. Yeah. Well, I, I don't, I hesitate to say I'm the first because I, I honestly don't know the answer to that. Yeah, um, but you don't know of any. I, I, I don't know of any, but I venture guess to say that I probably won't be the last. Yeah, well. This game, this game rarely has, you know, one of anything. Yeah. Well, you know, right now, I'm pretty sure that there are more Italian-American umpires in the major leagues at any single time in the past. I mean, there are, what, nine of you now, right? I mean, that's quite a number compared to what it yeah. has been. I don't know if that would be true, though. I, I mean, you'd have to go back and look because back 
now you don't worry. Well, there were over time, but I think at any given time, I mean, I'd look back at this quite a bit, and you always say, you know, like Augie Donatelli, you had guys that stood out, but there weren't a, yeah, but there, there weren't a lot of them at one time as there are now, I don't think. Which is good. Well, part of that could be that the staff has expanded. I mean, there's seventy. Well, there's that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But, well, is there anything that, uh, you know, I, I want readers to learn something about umpiring that they didn't know? Or is there anything else that I haven't touched on you think that we should about your job or whatever? I would say uh, the amount of respect that I personally have for those that have umpired before me or the the uh, representatives of Major League Baseball who are entrusted to, to supervise us and to rate us and to develop us into being the best that we can be. I, I personally have a tremendous amount of respect for the position that they're in because this is a really hard deal that you're graded on at the major league level. Everything is on video. Um, it, it, I would tell if a reader was reading about me, and I, I, I don't think I'll ever write a book, Larry. I, I just don't. It's not my. It's not in my nature. I when when I retire, I want to go spend time with my family. I want to go be it. It's all the sacrifice I make as a father. I want to be. You know, two holes better as a grandfather. And right. that, yeah. That's really what this thing is about. And we sacrifice a lot to do our job. And everybody does. And whether, I don't care what you do in your life, we all make sacrifices. But what people need to understand is that traveling the country, staying in hotels, and being part of, of this great game of baseball is a privilege. And for me, I, I don't think that will ever change. I don't think I'll ever get to the point where it, I don't view it as a privilege. I don't think I'll ever get to the point where I don't appreciate the good fortune that I've had to, to be in this position. And if that day were to come, I, I think that would be my... Okay, it's time to retire and go home. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I don't, I, the, the crazy thing about umpires is that when they retire, it's usually because their body's taking a, a beating. Yeah. Whether it be too many head blows, you know, the knees, the back, uh, the neck. Too many guys go because of that. And I want to be able to leave with good quality of life. Of course. But the guys that retire, this year we had four guys retire. I guarantee you, they all four love umpiring. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, they got older. Yeah. They're in their 60s, and it's a young man's game. That's a long time, yeah. Yeah. Well, Dan, this has been wonderful. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time and being so articulate. Um very much like my interview with Steve. Just uh, both of you have been terrific. So Steve is a Steve is an incredible human being, Larry. Yeah, I'm very impressed. I mean, I you know I've followed him, of course, for many many years, and one of the 
best known and best Italian American umpires, and for him to come back from what he did is uh, remarkable, very impressive. Well, let me let me tell you this: from a a young umpire, this isn't just because I'm Italian, and this isn't just because he was one of the supervisors that supervised me through the minor leagues into the big leagues. I'm going to tell you something, and you, you can. You could tell Steve I said this the next time you talk to him. Okay. Steve Palermo had a very short career on the field. Right. But you ask anybody that ever worked with him or worked in that era, and they all say Steve Palermo would have been a Hall of Fame umpire. Yeah. He was that good. Yeah. He was that good. He just... Some guys have it. Some guys were born to be umpires. Steve was one of them. Yep. 